Welcome to the Healthy Charleston Podcast, where we help you take ownership of your health and fitness. My name is Hannah, and I am here to be your source of accurate health and fitness information while spreading awareness about all of the different health and fitness resources available to you in the Charleston area. Be sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm talking all about stress and recovery with Dr. Elliot Lance. Elliot is a physical therapist at Made to Move, and he helps his patients break free from frustrating pain and injuries and get them back to doing what they love. So we're talking about a concept today that details a lot of factors that contribute to pain and injury. Pain is confusing, complex, frustrating, and we want to help people understand their pain so that they can take control of it, do what they love, and move with confidence and without restrictions. So we're talking about this formula. Stress plus recovery equals adaptation and how we use this recipe, if you will, to get our patients from where they are to where they want to be. It's all about dosage, timing, and environment. So we talk a lot about stress today. Stress is neither a good or bad thing. It just creates a stimulus for change. Stress can make us more prepared and more capable of demands, but when dosed improperly, it can break us down and contribute to pain and injury. And we'll explain more about what we mean by stress. But before we start, please subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Otherwise, let's do it. All right. So today we're talking about mainly two things, stress and recovery. So we're talking about the concept of stress plus recovery equals adaptation, this nifty formula we use, and how this relates to training and pain and injuries and overall how the human body adapts to stress and how to manage stress and recovery to actually get a benefit from it. And so I really like this formula and approach because it allows for all of the complexity and the individualized nature of working with humans because humans are complex and messy. And so we're going to break this concept down and talk about what stress and recovery really mean. These big buzzwords that you hear all the time. And so we use this mainly with our patients to explain why all of the factors contributing to their pain or frustrating injuries and why they feel stuck. So ultimately how we're going to get them unstuck and then get them from where they are to where they want to be and to meet their goals. With me to have this awesome conversation and dive into this topic is Dr. Elliot Lance. Elliot, welcome. Hello. Happy to be here. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about you and what you do here in Charleston? Yeah. Um, so I am a physical therapist for Made to Move. We have a couple locations around Charleston and Somerville. Honestly, we try to help people exactly what you said, get out of pain and get back to doing the things they love to do. The opportunity to get to share that with a lot of people is something that I think brings us all a lot of passion. So I'm excited for today. So we're talking about stress. We're talking about recovery. Why is this so important for people to understand? Because we talk about this all the time in our team, right? And we explain right. it to every single patient. Everyone. Yeah, it's it's really helpful to kind of break it down because to be honest, pain is really confusing and complex. Like, so breaking it down to a more simplified equation like stress recovery adaptation, it just gives you some context. Um, so it, it tries to explain all of the factors. And man, there are a lot of factors that go into why someone's experiencing pain and then therefore how we can help them get out of pain and you know get the adaptation, get the goal that they want, right? And so it, it makes what we do at Made to Move, in my opinion, so special, right? We help them understand why things hurt and then we help them manage the things that go into why things hurt. It started as just like, okay, how can I be a physical therapist? But then it turned into like a beautiful combination of like how I use my doctorate of physical therapy degree and pain science and communication and empathy to get people to just understand their pain and help them move forward. So I think it explains like why we spend so much time with our patients and like why we ask so many questions. And sometimes at the end of that conversation, I'm like, okay, is there anything that I didn't ask you? And they're like, no, I think, you know, my whole life story at this point. I think it just explains like why we zoom out, why we go with a, a whole health approach because all of these things matter. And so I'm excited to talk about like 
the way all of the, these things matter ultimately in a lot of different ways. When you think about training, we'll talk about banana bread and cooking. We'll talk about sunburns, um, but also just like the, the health and wellness of a human. And like, are you, do you know what stress is? Are you responding well to stress? How are you recovering from it? And ultimately, like, what are you getting when you open the oven? Yeah. I mean, and think about it like this, like, when was the last time a healthcare provider even attempted to walk you through these things? So I truly believe that like helping people understand or at least starting to get a grasp of how stress, how recovery impacts their goals, like that is really at the core of what healthcare should be. However, not a lot of people do it and not a lot of people talk about it. So I'm excited to put this podcast out there. So hopefully we can start to spread some understanding of those principles and change healthcare. That's the goal. That's what we want. Right. I thought about this because obviously I think about this stuff all the time, but with like talking to patients with, especially talking to new patients and hearing their story, traditional healthcare doesn't help you meet your long-term health and wellness goals. Yeah. It's all focused on the physical or how can I fix you? Right. How can I provide some short temporary pain relief like that could be via you know medication that could be you know through pt or chiropractic work like it could be through a lot of different modalities but at the end of the day like that's all healthcare really is concerned about is like the quick fix and and how do we how do we start to shift that narrative starts with stress recovery adaptation it's got to start somewhere so without further ado so we're going to use the term sra a lot and that's just a short way of saying stress plus recovery equals adaptation. And like we we literally write this on the board in our patient sessions. It's something that we love to explain. And so can we talk about just like a few examples of where this applies? Yeah, I, I think, you know, so at, first of all, SRA is not a term that we made up. Stress recovery adaptation is, is that's good to say widely out there, right? So like uh, this is a concept that's you know, surrounding, like most of the literature around SRA is around like strength training or strength conditioning and things like that. So you'll see people talk about that and explain it in that way. So like, for example, like a bicep curl, right? So if, if the goal, the adaptation is to get a stronger bicep muscle, what you would need to do is you have to stress that bicep in some way, right? Maybe that's bicep curls, right? And then you have to recover from that stress, right? And so that recovery probably has a couple of different things, but mostly it's time and probably some protein, right? <laughs> you need to give your body the opportunity to recover from the stress, the intentional stress that you just put on it to get the goal of a stronger bicep. And so that's where SRI is mainly talked about. I like that you said intentional stress. And I think we'll get into that more when we talk about what stress is. In school, like we talk a lot about Wolf's Law in relation to bone specifically, which bone adapts to the stressors placed upon it. And so right. bone grows and bone is laid down based on the way that it's being stressed, the way that muscles are being pulled. It's why strength training improves bone density. And so like, I feel like that was kind of my first glimpse into someone telling me that humans adapt to stress. And I didn't really, I was like, oh, that's cool, whatever, like bones grow mm -hmm. and I never understood back then how this is like actually a massive principle that applies to exactly that humans adapting to stress, not just bone, like not just muscles, not just connective tissue, not just whatever neural tissue, like humans in general. It's just like a really cool thing that our body does. Right. Yeah. It sounds really simple when you break it down to like a bicep or like, okay, bone adapts or the bicep gets stronger when you strengthen it. Like, Duh, Elliot, that makes sense. But you're right. Like, I think we can take these principles and, you know, bring them to different things, right? So, like, it's really how our body adapts to most everything, right? So think about, like, a vaccine or think about, like, like your immune system, right? So what happens, like, with your immune system, right? You're exposed to some pathogen, right? You're exposed to some stress, your memory immune cells, right? Wow, they, you're getting I know, into it. Yeah, I don't, wow, like, this is smart. This right, is so I'm exposed <laughs> to a pathogen. I have some like memory immune cells and they produce antibodies 
to help me prepare for that stress if I ever ex am exposed to that pathogen again, right? So like taking it beyond just bicep curls, like this is really how our body responds to most all physiological stress. Okay, why? Why does our body do this? At the end of the day, it is, it is rooted in that adaptation. You are trying to prepare in case that stressor happens again, right? Your, your body is trying to, you know, establish some sort of baseline to like, okay, like I, if this ever happens, if I'm ever exposed to this threat again, then I can be more prepared for it so that it doesn't rock the boat. It doesn't crush me like it did this first time. Yeah, I think it's all about protection. And like, I think it really right. relates back to pain, pain being a response to a potential threat in order to protect you. Like our bodies are very well designed to preserve resources and to protect us. And somewhere along the line, I, someone figured out that you can, I want to say hack, that's not, not really hack, but like hack this formula to like get bigger biceps, you know, like at some point people were just like lifting things and they're like, that's weird. Like I got stronger and my muscles got a little bit bigger. And then someone was like, wait, it's because of this. And then, you know, all of us like fitness and health nerds got obsessed with this. And the way that I explain it to patients is I always ask them, everyone usually answers the same. If every day you ran a mile for a whole year and you never got any better at it, you never enjoyed it, would you still do it? No one says yes, thank God. And I always explain, fortunately, that's not the way the body works. Despite your best efforts, you would get better. You That mile would take less time, that mile would take less energy, that mile would be less stressful on your body. Will, would you enjoy it? I can't promise that, but you would get a lot better at it. And that is because humans adapt to stress. And it's like the, the reason that we remember things. It's the reason we remember languages and that we study and we remember those things. And like, what would be the point of studying for a test tomorrow? If you studied all day, at the end of the day, I erased your brain. And so that's what happens when you don't adapt or recover from the stress that you're applying. Because without the recovery, without the adaptation, like stress is just stress. It's because we can get something from it that benefits us in the long term. We're just manipulating stress. We're not stress managers. We're stress manipulators. Yeah, I mean, call it what you want, right? Like, but you already pointed it out. Like, it is, it is intentional. Like, from okay, someone hacked the system to figure out that we could place an intentional stress and get a stronger bicep. Like, that's great. But like, it really is just as simple as you get better at the things you consistently do. And like, that is the principle, whether that be in the physiological world, the stress world, like, yeah, like taking a test, like going on a run, right? Playing the piano. Like I have to practice these things. I have to do these things. And those things might be either physically or mentally stressful. And then I recover from that. Some time passes and then I have gotten better at it. I've gotten an adaptation. That is, I think, the huge takeaway that if everyone from this podcast can take away, you get better at what you consistently do. Like, obviously there's a lot of factors and we're going to talk about that and nuance and complexity, but ultimately you get better at what you consistently do. So some questions that we are hoping to answer are some things that we're going to talk about how the human body responds to and adapts to stress. We probably already talked about that a lot. What factors determine how we adapt? what stress really means and what it encompasses and same thing for recovery, what recovery really means. So let's define and dive in. What is stress? A loaded question. Yeah. Um, you know, stress is kind of a hot topic right now. I think the best way to describe it so that we try to encompass everything that stress could mean is stress is a stimulus that disrupts your homeostasis right? So you are living your life. You have some event or some catalyst that brings you down. That could be physically, it could fatigue you. It could give you some you know, mental anxiety, right? It is a stimulus that disrupts your homeostasis. Okay. What's homeostasis? It's your state of equilibrium. It's, it's, it's the state of being where, you know, 
you can have a higher homeostasis, you know, you can have different levels of baseline, but essentially your homeostasis is your natural baseline. And that can be a moving target, but in this moment in time, this is your baseline for a stress. Bringing it back to high school biology. Yeah, right. Dynamic state. Meant something, I guess. Of equilibrium. Yeah. What what science? Physical Physical science. You can take physical science. I don't remember. I mean, is that not physics? It's like, no, it's like ninth grade science. It's oh, like yes. When yeah. you study rocks and geology. I and use that knowledge every day. That shit. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> okay. So stress is a lot broader than what most people realize. Is that right? Yeah. You know, I, I think we adapted these definitions so that we could speak it, speak to it in a more broad sense. So Again, most people think of stress and they think of either physical or mental stress, right? But it goes a lot further than that, right? It could be emotional or existential or relationship stress, like social stress. In some way, our body experiences all these different types of stressors. Therefore, you need to recover from them and then adapt to them. So yeah, I want it to, as we talk today, like I definitely want stress to seem broad. So is stress good or bad? Um, triggering question you know and and so I, I think by now you can try to pick up the interpretation of what we're trying to say is but like stress is neither good or bad right so in the bicep curl example my goal was to get a stronger bicep therefore i had to have stressed it so in that way stress was good and needed right and then you know in a very real way stress can also be overstressing and and be you know yield a negative adaptation. And so therefore, because it is in some way can be both good and bad, therefore it has to be neither. Therefore, like it, it can't be defined by either one of those terms. So philosophical. (laughs) Yeah. Like good or bad. Like I don't love those words because it's so different for everyone and what their, what their goal was, right? Like it, it dichotomizes something that can't be split into good or bad. It's like, was it helpful for what you wanted to feel and what you like wanted? Was it helpful towards the goal or was it unhelpful? Because like, as we'll get into later, I think sometimes when you think about like chronic pain or PTSD, like the way that your body is, has adapted to respond to that stress, your body thinks it's helpful, but it's actually become unhelpful. And, and like, that's where we work with a lot of patients is when that pain, that protection response is actually getting in the way of them living their life because that protection response has gotten so strong and so, so sensitive. And like pain is probably a whole separate discussion, but I like thinking of it like, is it helpful towards your goal or is it unhelpful because it's just stress and it's not labeled, it just elicits a change that starts a cascade of events. And so what I also like to explain is that stress is cumulative. And so like how many of the people that we work with view exercise as a mental stress relief? All the time. Like, and we do too, 80%, right? 80%. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, sometimes it's a mental stressor. That's for sure. If it is the coast mm-hmm. talking to you, but it's also exercise is an intentional physical stressor. And so people are like, oh, well, like that's my stress relief, but they're so stressed. They have all these things going on. They're trying to pour a gallon of water in an eight ounce cup because your body responds to stress as stress and not like, oh, workout stress this way and emotional stress this way. And, oh, well, we have a little bit more room for, it's like, it's like, I always have room in my stomach for dessert. Like always, I could be so full. Just ate a cheeseburger, had a huge salad, but a bunch of fries. And we're like, oh my God, I'm so full. And then I'm like, but I want a cookie. And I can eat that cookie. Mm-hmm. That's not how stress works. Stress does not, you don't have a dessert stomach when it comes to stress. Mm. It all goes in the same stuff. And like, talk about perception. Right. You know, but either way. And so is there any way, like, how do you explain this stress being neither good or bad to patients? Yeah, I mean, that's a really... That's a really tough question. Like you have to understand that like there's so much that goes into it. So then talking about how 
it can be good in some circumstances and then it can be bad in some circumstances. Like the fact that stress exists is not the only, not the only variable in this equation. So you have to talk about like, okay, in what context and how much, right? And so I think those are the two things that we help people realize like, oh, okay. Like, you know, we could talk about a deadlift, right? And how a deadlift can, is an intentional likely it's likely an intentional physical stressor right and so like when deciding was that deadlift good or bad we have to also say like okay was the dose was the amount of weight was the amount of reps that you did during that deadlift was it appropriate for my homeostasis was it appropriate for my baseline or not and that is the you know every time you know i get asked as a pt like but what hurt me? Like, did this deadlift hurt me? You you can't answer that yes or no, because you have to have way more information about that stressor that makes it good or bad. And so I think the dosage is critical in this conversation. The Healthy Charleston podcast is brought to you by Made to Move Physical Therapy. Made to Move Physical Therapy specializes in helping you get out of pain and get back to doing what you love. We offer relationship-oriented, one-on-one, individualized care to all of our clients, and we believe in putting the patient's needs first. If you'd like to work with me or any of our other physical therapists at Made to Move, check out the link in the show notes and get 10% off of your first session. We have locations throughout Charleston, Mount Pleasant, West Ashley, Somerville, and Daniel Island. Don't waste another day stuck in your pain. Follow the link and schedule an appointment today. So like it wasn't the deadlift, it was the cumulative effect that like your cup could have already been really full and the deadlift was the thing that made the cup overflow. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so there could have been multiple things that, you know, exceeded that, you know, my capacity for a deadlift in that moment. And some of them could be physical, right? So like think about like a big, strong power lifter, right? the stress that he needs to put on his body or her body that creates a, you know, a, a catalyst for change. It creates a, a change in their deadlift, right? So I'm a power lifter who wants to get a stronger deadlift. I need to deadlift, let's call it 400 pounds. Wow. Really heavy, right? So that same 400 pound deadlift that could be very appropriate for that person would likely be way too much for like, let's say my mom. Right. And if my mom attempts that, no, that stressor, yeah, she could not do that. Right. But that stressor is going to be far beyond her baseline, far beyond her capacity. Therefore, that stressor in her circumstance in this moment in time was likely, you know, if we want to use the good or bad, that was likely bad. Right. It was likely too much. But again, like you can't really call the stressor itself good or bad. Like, it just is all about context. What's interesting is if that 400 pound bar was actually in the shape of the, in the shape of a car and it was crushing her child, she probably could lift it <laughs> because Maybe. moms are crazy. That's not a test I want to run. No, <laughs> but it's like stress just needs to be stressful for you. And so that 400 pound deadlift, or let's say this, this power lifter can deadlift 400 pounds. hundred pounds isn't stressful for him. So a hundred pounds isn't going to start. It's not going to be a stimulus. It's not going to start this cascade of events to make him adapt because it's so below what he can do. However, a hundred pounds for your mom might be just stressful enough, or it might be too stressful. And so I think it's, it's almost hard to, I think sometimes this is where like people go wrong and in group classes and like compare comparing themselves because it doesn't matter if it's heavy because heavy is relative. Like stress is relative because like me doing a podcast is no longer stressful. It used to be stressful. Me listening to my own voice, no longer stressful. I listen to it all, all the time. I used to absolutely hate it. As someone new who comes on the podcast, who's never been on a podcast, that might be stressful. Very. And so it wasn't the podcast. It's your experience and how prepared you are for the podcast. Yeah. And and tying it back to like why we are even having this 
you know, conversation, like this is starting to explain like why pain or one of the many reasons why pain can happen, right? So like it's very often as a PT that people come in our offices and say, why am I hurting? You know, like something must have happened. I must have done something wrong or something that was, you know, too much or, or some like there must be something specific that happened. And for a lot of people, like I like what you said, like stress can be cumulative as well. And so the people who walk in the office and I'm like, okay, you know, tell me about what happened. And they really can't point to a singular event. They really can't point to like, oh, this is what caused my pain. Um, and they're really confused and discouraged. And it, it can be really um, just like frustrating that they can't fully comprehend what is causing them pain. And then conversations like this, helping them understand that like there probably wasn't a stressor that was necessarily bad that's causing your pain. It could just be an accumulation of a bunch of stressors that ended up exceeding your capacity. Yeah, I think what's really frustrating about that is when you feel like you didn't do anything wrong or you feel like there wasn't anything that you can think of that you know caused this, it almost makes you feel more broken. It makes you feel even worse because you're like, something must be really wrong with me if I'm having pain and there's really no clear reason why. It's I think, you know, we love clarity as people. We love being able to draw conclusions and to know and to understand. And so people come in not understanding and then explaining it in this perspective helps them understand that like you're not broken. You aren't you don't have something extremely wrong with you. You didn't do something wrong basically like you're not tolerating or adapting to the demands placed on you. And like we make that as specific as possible to that patient. And the flip side is like, sometimes patients do come in and they're like, this is the thing. I know I did this. I must be doing this wrong. I must Mm. be moving wrong. I must be lifting wrong. I must not be doing this enough. And when you explain to them, like, what you said before, you get better at what you consistently do as long as it's not too much for you to recover from. And you get prepared for what you're exposed to. That really takes away the question of, did I move wrong? It's not, did I move wrong? It's, did you move in a way that your body is either potentially threatened by or just inherently unexposed or unprepared for? So the way that I like to explain it we're going to start our cooking show now, our guest baking show is the banana bread analogy. And so, Elliot, how often do you make banana bread? Never. No, I'm the one that makes it. I made pumpkin bread this weekend. It was really great. Hashtag fall. So when you're making banana bread, you usually follow a recipe and it says like two to three eggs, unless you're making like banana bread for the masses. Two to three eggs, right? And so let's say you use 12 eggs. What happens? What do you get? I don't know. You tell me you're the banana bread expert. You would probably get a banana omelet. Okay. That's what I always say. You would get this like eggy sloppy mess. And when you're like, what happened? It wasn't the egg, right? It was the amount of egg. It wasn't the stress. It was the amount of stress. The same thing goes for sunburns versus tans. And I love that analogy because a lot of people based on their genetics and all of these things, get sunburnt way more easily and some people tan way more easily. And it's not just because of the dose of the stress at that point or the timing, it's because of what makes them different and all of these things underneath the surface. And so it really starts to explain like, people handle and tolerate and adapt to stress differently. And we adapt and tolerate and handle different kinds of stress differently. And there's a lot of things that determine how we respond to stress. The biggest one that I love to talk about and uh, shameless plug, Dr. Rachel Heller and I did a podcast on this pretty much about the power of words and power of language and perception. But a huge factor that determines how we respond to stress is our interpretation of it. Do we think it's good? Do we think it's bad? Right. And that, you know, that opens up a whole different like element to this. And again, like kind of back to 
healthcare, like no one is going to sit you down and talk to you about all of these things, like about how much your stress and how different stressors can play a role in this. And, you know, we'll get to recovery later, but I think you hit on a really important point. Like a lot of this is surrounded by the fact that like, it's also based on how we as humans are perceiving this stress too. Right. And so like a way I try to explain that with my patients is like when when you were a kid or when you were four years old, whatever, and you went to the doctor and you were going to get like a shot, right? And so, you know, if I was the doctor getting ready to give you the shot and I'm like, all right, Johnny, here's this shot. This is going to be super painful. Watch out. Oh, God. <laughs> like that four-year-old kid is going to have a 10 out of 10 worst pain experience, crying, screaming. I'm probably going to kick the doctor, like, like a horrible experience, right? And so- that, you know, if you took that idea and contrasted it with like, okay, like, you know, I'm going to give Johnny a lollipop and a teddy bear and you say, look over here and distract him and then give him a shot is probably like, ooh, and it might be like a three, right? And so the physical stress of that event, like the physical puncture of that needle, that never changed. Like that was still the same physical stress. But the expectation and the fear and the anxiety surrounded by scenario one versus scenario two was vastly different. And that in turn changed how Johnny interpreted that stress. And so it can be a great way to start getting people to understand like, you know, and this is, you know, like we could talk about placebo too, but like that's really what that means, right? So like it's starting to help them understand that there's a lot of factors that go into it and our interpretation of the stress is a very real component in all of this. Yeah, our interpretation plays a big role in how we like physiologically actually respond. And like, what if someone came in to see you and they're like, they told you everything that was going on and then they were like, and I have all of these beliefs about my body and it was just so clear and easy you'd be like, okay, I understand why based on these beliefs, you're interpreting it this way. And like, but those beliefs are so deep rooted and like not necessarily hidden, but they're just, they're just beliefs. And they're just like inherent things that you have been told or that you believe about the body or things that you believe based on your experiences. Like you're afraid of heights, right? Terrified. Was there, why? Like, what started that? Did you have a negative experience with the heights? Honestly, no. <laughs> you know, like, and, and I think that's that's part of it too. Like, it it's, it's my anxiety that's probably irrational surrounding heights, right? And I can't really explain it that well. And I don't really have like a specific traumatic event associated with it. But that is, like, I have some predisposition to feeling like being up really tall is scary. And I, and like, it's hard. Cause like, I even recognize now that it's irrational. Like I'll be on a third story balcony with a railing. I'm a you know fairly athletic person. I'm like, I would have to legitimately try to fall off this balcony. Like I would, something would have to go horribly wrong. And like, I understand that. But you still feel like. But it doesn't matter. I still feel horrible. I still will not look over the edge. Rooftop bars are out of the equation. Yeah, I usually am. Elliot's in the center of that rooftop bar. (laughs) I'm probably having a fine time, but like, I uh, I'm probably staying towards the center. Yeah, I think fear it plays a huge role. Whether you like have had an, an actual experience with it, or whether it's just like something based on a lot of things that we don't understand about the brain and the body you have this underlying fear and ultimately it all comes down to protection. And a study that I really like to talk about that explains how we respond based on our perception is the, is it ghrelin or ghrelin? I don't I think it matters where you're from. Ghrelin. ghrelin. I, I don't say. know. So a hunger hormone that signifies that you're satiated. Yeah. So there's two drinks. They're both 300 calories, but in the first instance, the patient was told that it's 500 calories. In the second instant, same drink, they were told that it was like 140 calories. I don't remember the exact numbers. And their body's hunger and 
satiating, satisfying. I'm satisfied from my food. Their body's hormones responded differently based on which drink they thought they were drinking. So I think I'm drinking the 500 calorie. My body actually responded to be more full. I'm drinking the 140 calorie. My body responded to not really have a lot of changes in my fullness, but the drink was the same. And like, that's really powerful. And that applies to like literally everything. Yeah. I mean, it's not a far leap in understanding that principle and understanding how our body responds and interprets that to understanding why, you know, our words as healthcare providers can really have a positive or negative impact, right? So if I'm, if I'm a doctor who, or if I'm a physical therapist who doesn't understand this principle and I say like, oh man, this is the, this is the worst knee I've ever seen. Like, or you, you know, you must be having a lot of bone on bone. Like that's gotta be very painful. Like there are a lot of things that I can say that really are, you know, pretty superficial to me as the doctor. Like, oh, I'm, you know, like this person has knee pain. Like I'm just going to make them, you know, help them understand that it's just like, oh, bone on bone or grinding or wear and tear, right? All these statements that we hate, but now you can start to understand like, oh, wow, like if I'm the patient and I believe that my knee is, you know, catastrophically wrong and that I'm bone on bone and I'm going to have pain with every step I take, I don't know what, I don't know what percentage of that person's pain can be attributed to that belief, but I know it's a non-zero number based on everything we, like we understand about pain. Yeah. And our words, our words have the capacity to change our behavior and how we think and how we act. And like, if just putting a label of 500 calories versus 140 calories made people respond differently to the same 300 calorie drink, the same person responded differently to each of them, then like, what does labeling an exercise as bad do? And so how we determine, how we respond to stress is determined by a lot of things. And a huge part of that is what we've been talking about is our interpretation of it our perception of it also is our relationship with it or past experiences with it, the dosage, which we've talked about, the timing, which we talked about, and then how well we can recover from it, which brings us to the R in SRA recovery. And this is also a hot topic. Like it's everywhere. Like, Oh, you know, do this for recovery. This is going to help you recover better. The hack for recovery. And what really is recovery? What does recovery mean? Yeah, so if stress is the, you know, the change that brings you down from your baseline, down from homeostasis, recovery has to be the returning to homeostasis. You know, you could even take it a step further, like you could be either, you know, recovering really well, and you can even establish a new homeostasis, which that would be what I would classify as adaptation. But essentially, recovery is is the return back to baseline. So recovery is how our system overcomes the effects of stress Mm -hmm. and how we utilize energy and resources to repair and rebuild and replenish. And I always think about getting a cut. And like when you first get a cut, obviously it bleeds, it hurts. And there's all of these things that are happening all of these signals that happen within your body to essentially like call 911 and be like, yo, bring in the troops, like bring in the materials. Mm-hmm. And recovery is that cut healing, which is really cool. Like our body literally heals itself. We we damage our skin, we get a cut and it heals. And we didn't do anything, but it's because it was damaged, like because there was a cut was what told our body, alert, alert, it needs to be healed. And I just think we like, I think we pass over that a lot. I don't think we ever, not ever, but like, I don't think most people fully understand like the capability of the human body to heal. It's amazing. The human body is the most incredible thing that we have any capacity of knowledge for, in my opinion. Like the fact that we can input a stressor and that, or we can even predict a stressor and we start having these responses to prepare or establish a new 
baseline of tolerance for that stressor is incredible. Yeah. So I like to use this analogy. I think Jordan talked about this. I think that's where I got that analogy is the recovery spoons. So like at the beginning of the week, I give you 20 spoons. You have 20 recovery spoons. And I don't really know why they're spoons, but they're there's 20 or recovery like spoons. Recovery tokens. No, I like spoons. We're gonna use I used it with a patient and he emailed me and told me about his spoons. And I was like, that's spoons stick. Tokens don't. So we're gonna go with spoons. Anyways, I give you 20 recovery spoons at the beginning of the week. And every time you interact with something that's stressful, you use a spoon. And so you have a stressful day at work you get stuck in traffic, you're late for work, you have a headache, you do a workout, you are at Trader Joe's in Charleston and you're there for 30 minutes when it really should only take you 10 and you can't find a parking spot. You get in a fight with someone that you're in a relationship with. All of these stressful things, you use a spoon. And so if I gave you more spoons, you would be able to handle more stress. Because let's say like once you use up all your spoons, that stress actually starts having a a negative effect on you. It starts breaking you down. It's stressful. It's hard to recover from. You feel overwhelmed. You feel stressed. But if you have a spoon, you're just like, I'm good. I mean, that's not really how it works, but it's a nice analogy. And so by giving someone more spoons, by improving someone's recovery potential, you're actually increasing the amount of stress they can withstand. And so we talked about stress a ton, but what we also spend a ton of time on with our patients is focusing on and improving recovery and really the things that really move the needle and that really matter in recovery, which are sleep, nutrition, purposeful recharge time, and stress management. And so I say stress management being like the things that you can control. And so I shouldn't go do a workout today that's, you know, 50 deadlifts and then do the same thing tomorrow because I haven't recovered from that stress. And so a lot of stress management is really just like quality training and smart training. What's cool and like what's kind of frustrating because it's an ever moving target, but we have a lot of control over is someone's like recovery potential. If you think about this line, like it's always moving, it's always changing based on everything else going on in their life their health as a whole, like a person who's, let's say like really, really healthy, they're young, um, they don't have any financial concerns, they have health insurance, have a great family, they have a supportive family, like the way that they're going to respond to a stressful situation is very different than someone who's the opposite of that. Someone who has not great health habits and who doesn't sleep and who doesn't eat a lot of things or eats all the wrong things and someone who doesn't have a great, you know, family or relationship support system. And so like just those things play a huge role in how someone recovers and how often are those things coming up in healthcare conversations? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. They almost never come up. And it's funny because like most people understand it too. Like I'll ask someone like, okay, you know, we're talking about the things that are going to help them, you know, recover. And I'll be like, all right, patient, what are some of the things that you think helps with your recovery? And dude, they'll list them, right? They'll be like, yeah, sleep. Like I just need time, right? Some sort of rest or like managing my stress. Usually they mean it in a physical sense, but you know, I, th- I think they understand or they have some awareness of there's probably a lot of things that go into recovery. But then on the flip side, when I ask them, okay, well, what do you think is causing their pain? It's almost always just like one singular physical thing. And I think that's a weird thing. And I like to bring that up with patients is like, if there's so many things that help us recover from a stress, like that also in turn means that there's probably a lot of factors that go into the stress side of the equation. And so it starts to get them to realize, like, if I have a patient who's not really understanding that, like, okay, a lot of my stressful or a lot of, like what you said, like my bad eating habits or my, you know, different aspects of my my life that might be not, that might be more stressful. Like if I have someone who's not really comprehending that topic, I'll usually just ask them those two questions. And then it starts to open their eyes like, wow, okay, there's, a lot more that I can think about when talking about like what's going into my pain. 
Yeah. Like what I've learned, especially like starting practicing as a PT during the pandemic Mm -hmm. is that people are stressed. Like people have a lot of shit going on and like what we're often spending a lot of time on with people is helping them manage a lot of stressors in their life that they can control and helping people improve or change their recovery again, based on like what they can control. And so ultimately like it's not a clear cut equation and it's also always changing. And I know someone, someone who comes to me with a, with a problem and we kind of map everything out. We write everything out on the board and they're sleeping really well. They get enough quality quantity sleep. They're eating enough of right, the right things. Like they feel really good about their nutrition. Maybe they're working with a coach. They have someone who programs for them. Like all those variables are pretty dialed in. And I know that it's going to be easier to, you know, apply stress and know that they're going to respond differently and probably better than someone who we write up all those things on the board. And that's the biggest area for improvement. Like they don't have as many spoons. Hmm. And so that recovery potential is like, it's always changing based on your health as a whole, everything else going on in your life, your past experiences, your future experiences that we don't even know are going to come up. And, you know, like week four of us working together, the type and the amount of stress, your level of experience with that stressor, your health, the other stressors in your cup. And so I'm going to call you out a little bit. So the first time you did this wall, this wall ball workout, it's, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 wall balls, and then a bunch of shuttle runs in between. How did you feel after the first time you did it? Yeah, so the fittest of the coast workout one was exactly what Hannah said. I felt pretty pretty good, honestly, after the first one. You were extremely sore. Sure, You were all yes. extremely sore, like hard to walk, like didn't demonstrate a squat for that for my patient that day. Extremely sore. And then what happened the next time? So I, I think I think there's a couple of things that we can talk about with this wall ball workout. Because after the first wall ball workout, the first time that I exposed myself to that many wall balls in a certain amount of time, I was extremely sore and fatigued in, in that way. Like I had a lot of muscular soreness. However, leaving that gym, I actually, I, I felt fine, like I felt okay, I was just fatigued. The second time that I did this workout, I felt horrible. My, I was not as sore after this workout, but I felt way, way, way worse. And so then, so like there's a couple of things you can kind of draw from that. So like I knew that I was doing this workout for the first time on a specific day at a specific time. So the days previous, so I did it on I think it was Thursday. So then Wednesday and Tuesday, I made sure to get a lot more sleep. I made sure to drink a lot of water. I made sure to eat and do everything right in terms that was going to set, I thought was going to set myself up for performing the way I wanted to. And so then while I was sore, I actually felt better. And then when I redid the workout on Monday, I had a full day of patience. I had pretty long weekend where I was not recovered very much at all. We drank in the weekend. Like I, I think that morning I had like two cups of coffee and maybe like half a sip of water. Right. And so I went in Monday going into that workout and I went just as hard, just as intense, but I felt horrid walking away from that gym. It took me way longer to recover. I wasn't as sore and that's kind of like where soreness isn't really associated with like intensity, but soreness is more due to like novelty of movement. But that workout the second time, my experience and probably the fatigue and stress that it took on my body was way higher. So what's interesting is that like your body was prepared more the second time because of the first time, but it wasn't prepared more in the sense of like, your recovery potential. Yeah, it was prepared more the second time physically. Because of protection. It was like, we've done this thing before. Correct. We've experienced it. It experienced less threat, so therefore I wasn't as sore. It was physically, that workout went went faster. Um, I had a better score the second time. Like physically, I performed better. My body performed better. But 
in almost every other category that does go into stress and recovery, I, I was lacking that second time and it made me feel horrible. So your body, because our bodies try to protect us, your body was more prepared for the stimulus, but your body wasn't prepared. Be like your body short term wasn't as prepared because you didn't sleep and you drank and you didn't drink water and you drank coffee and you were stressed and all those things. Right. Which like just that story is confusing. It's complex. And so like patient comes to you and they're like, I've been lifting for a while. I've been doing CrossFit for a while. And now I'm just starting to feel horrible. And you're like, you look at everything and they're, let's say they're doing the same amount of weight. And you're like, okay, well, you've been doing this for a while. Like your body is prepared for that. Maybe we can assume that, but all of their you know, recovery health habits have changed or they change jobs. And so we see all of these like controllable lifestyle factors still having a, a huge impact on how they're feeling. And like, yeah, soreness, Jordan, and I talked about that a lot. Like soreness is just related to novelty, but I thought it was cool that like you weren't as sore the second time but you felt worse because of the things that you were or were not doing. And so bringing that into adaptation, we've talked about stress, we've talked about recovery. The whole point of this is to get the adaptation. And what that adaptation is, is really just a new homeostasis so that your body is more prepared for the next time it encounters that stressor. So how do you explain adaptation? Yeah, I mean, our bodies are really just trying to prepare and predict for the next time it has to be stressed. Like that is real. I mean, that's what our brains do. That's what our bodies do. Like they just want to be prepared for the next time we encounter a stressor. So adapting really just means like trying to have more resources available to combat that stressor if and when it happens again. And so this is why we talked about this a ton in our meeting yesterday. Over time, training gets harder not because it needs to be always just harder. It's because now you can handle something relatively more than what you used to be able to handle. Like right now, haven't really been running a lot. Like three miles would absolutely suck versus someone who runs marathons. Three miles doesn't suck. Three miles is chill. It's easy. Or like, just keep it to me. Like, a while ago, I used to run three miles regularly. So three miles really wasn't that stressful. And so like, I think that's when you get into just because you've done this before doesn't mean you're prepared for it now because you have to make your body prepared for the demands that you want to be prepared for. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. You get better at the things you consistently do if you know, my, if my body has limited time, energy, and resources, like I'm not, my body is not going to continue preparing for a stress that it doesn't think it's going to need to experience or like, like my body is not going to waste the resources it has, the limited resources that it has trying to get you better at running. If it hasn't experienced running in a while, it's like, why would I spend the time and energy to get Hannah better at running if I haven't experienced it? I mean, what a great question yeah, that applies exactly. specifically so to me and running. Therefore, you're you're not going to get you're not going to get better at running because you haven't stressed in that way. I think running is a good example to touch on this. Like, in order to be prepared for running, like I can I can bike and I can lift and I can do cardio, but none of that will prepare me the way that running will prepare me. And why is that? There's a principle in strength training that's called the SAID principle, which is S-A-I-D. And that's an acronym, and it stands for Specific Adaptations to Imposed Demands. And all that really means, you can break down the words, right? But like, we specifically adapt to the demands that we impose on our body, right? And so it has to be, in your example, it has to be specific. You know, we, we don't just like randomly ad adapt, and the more specific that that stressor can be, the more specific that demand is, the better, the more likely it is that we will get the adaptation that we want. So yes, in a way, biking and swimming will probably help you in some capacity to be a better runner. 
But what's going to help you the most with your running goal is is running, right? Like we, I joke all the time, like what's the best exercise I can possibly do to improve your overhead squat? And like, you know, I'll ask patients this because I treat a lot of CrossFitters and like, oh, like, well, I can do some thoracic extension exercises and like, dude, my dorsiflexors, you know, like I just don't have enough ankle dorsiflexion, so she could probably stretch. And they just go on and on about all of the things that they think they can improve. And I'm like, damn, I wish there was an exercise that did all of those things together at the same time that looked like an overhead squat. And then we pause for a second because they're probably thinking and I'm waiting just to make this joke even funnier. And I'm like, what if we just did an overhead squat? What if we just did the specific stressor that would yield us the adaptation that we want? And then they're like, oh, yeah, I guess we could do that. And then it's at that point, it's all about dosage. Right. And so now we're back to that banana bread example. Right. Like the best way to get an adaptation is to specifically challenge the body in that way. For that adaptation. I was just thinking, I was like, you're such an ass. <laughs> but it is like, and then you have people come to you and you're like, they're like, I don't know why I'm not good at overhead squatting. It's my hips, it's my knees, it's my ankles, it's my thoracic. And you're like, well, how often do you overhead squat? They're like, I don't know, like once every eight weeks. Yeah, like never. Okay. You know, like, well, well I, I've been trying to get my dorsiflexion range of motion a little bit better so that I can overhead squat. And I'm like, dude, I think you're missing it a little bit. I mean, I get it. Like there are things, there are things totally. that, uh, I had someone describe running as, as painting a room and the actual painting is running and the actual painting is like 25% of it and everything else you have to like get the stuff off the walls and put every, all the furniture in the middle and cover things up. And like, that's where you do need aerobic capacity. You do need the specific mobility for these demands. You do want your muscles and tissues and whatever to be able to tolerate these demands. But ultimately you also have to be doing the thing. Why are you moving all these, all the furniture in the middle of the room if you're not going to paint the room? Yeah. And you know, that's not to say, right. Like my, my example is simplistic. So that's not to say that regressing a movement down to its parts is not helpful or is never helpful. Like I don't mean to say that either, right? Sometimes there is a person in a specific moment in time that cannot handle the demands of an overhead squat. And therefore, it probably is helpful to regress that movement. Maybe we do need to specifically focus on his or her ankles dorsiflexion to allow us to stress in that way. So like it, it is it is a part of the puzzle, but you can also take it the other way. Like if you are not if all the pieces of the puzzle are out there in front of you and you're not missing any, start trying to put the puzzle together as opposed to, you know, trying to make a different puzzle piece better. Like a more complicated puzzle. And right. I, I think that's what we get to do like one-on-one -on -one with our patients is to be the detective and to get all these puzzle pieces and figure out specifically based on their goal, like what does this person need? What do they need to be more prepared for? What does their training need to look like? And like, we're not saying, oh, to run, you just need to run, you know, run, run seven days a week. Cause again, there is definitely a boundary there to overhead squat. Like you're not going to overhead squat every single day, especially if you've only been over overhead squatting once every two months. And so it's more just looking at this as the stress needs to be specific and the stress needs to be challenging right. and our bodies aren't going to be prepared for things that we haven't made them be prepared for because our bodies are, what I said in the beginning, going to preserve resources and going to protect us. And so we, we say a lot, I say a lot, like prepare, don't avoid. I think it's just more of this mentality of what do you want to make a priority for your body? Like, what do you want your body to be able to handle? And a lot of people mm -hmm. that come to us, like they want to be able to move in, in any way. They want to feel confident moving. They want to be able to pick things up from the floor. They want to be able to deadlift in a workout. They want to be able to go on a run. They want to be able to bike, play with their kids, all these things. And so we have these goals and then we get to kind of reverse engineer why they're not able to do those things the way that they want to. And then we get to, you know, mad scientists draw it out on the board and describe like our plan 
to apply stress and to optimize recovery to ultimately get them from where they are, which is frustrated, stuck, confused, lost to where they want to be, which is ultimately like living their active life and feeling the way that they want to. Yeah, I, I think you put it really well, right? Like what I think we at Made to Move do really well is we do that reverse engineering, right? Where do you want to be? Like no bullshit, let's talk about it. What are your biggest goals and what do we need to do? Or like, what do you want to accomplish? What is the adaptation that you want? And then we reverse engineering to go backwards in this equation. We talk about all of the things that we need to optimize in terms of your recovery. What are the things that we are lacking? Are there, is there any recovery potential that we can unlock here? And then on top of that, what are the stressors that will cause the change back to what we were talking about stress? What are the stressors that we need to elicit to start that process, right? Because as we talked about so much earlier, like it requires that catalyst. It requires that stressor. And I think what's even more important and you touched on it is like, yes, that stressor does have to be challenging, right? But challenging is relative. So, you know, I, I say to my patients all the time, like we are looking for like a Goldilocks, mm. you know, amount of stress, right? It can't be too little and it can't be too much. It has to be just right, right? And that just right, quote unquote, is a window, right? And so it's this window of stress that we need to be in consistently, and the closer that window of stress is to the specific adaptation that we want, the better that this process will go. So if we are specifically stressing and recovering from that stressor, we will get the adaptation that we want. And so then walking them through all this process of like what it takes to get the adaptation that we want is really powerful. And again, we've touched on it before, like, but no one in healthcare is doing this. And I, I think it is just such a missed opportunity. So tying it back to like why we even started this conversation, like this is what our patients are after. They're coming to our, you know, our offices and saying, why does this hurt? Or why can't I do this certain thing, right? And so somewhere in this equation, if they're having pain or they're not getting the adaptation, they're not getting the goal that they want, Somewhere in this equation that I just laid out, something something could be better. You know, something is wrong or something we need to address that can point them in a better direction to get the goal or get them out of pain, right? Maybe they're stressing too little. Maybe they're stressing too much, right? And that too much is relative to what they can recover from. So, you know, then if if the if the stress side of the scale is too high or the recovery side of the scale is too low, something has to change, right? Like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different adaptation. I'll change it a little bit. But like, so you either need to reduce the stress or the recovery has got to go up, like something's got to give in order to get the adaptation you want. So I think walking them through all of these things, like a lot of times that first session, that patient is asking like, why does this hurt? Or why can't I do blank? And this is why having the time to explain all of these things to our patients is is critical. I think anything less is not true healthcare. Oof, yeah. It just, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of getting to know your patients on a much deeper level and viewing this more as a, a system and as viewing them as you know a whole person and whole health rather than how we typically in healthcare view it as a specific tissue that needs to be fixed. And so- it's almost like, let's bring it back to banana bread, like we're creating a new recipe every time a patient comes in based on what they want their banana bread to look like. And this talking about it in this way, stress recovery adaptation, really I think allows for a much bigger and deeper conversation of, you know, it's not, it's not just about the stress. It's not just about the recovery. It's also about your relationship with it and your perception of it and your interactions and your past experiences and how your recovery is changing and oh my job is more stressful this week or like oh my you know family is going through this and like i think we're doing a disservice to our patients if we don't 
know those things, if we don't ask about those things, because their life, like what we do in here is a small percent. They're, they always felt this way, like in relation to PTs and also like personal trainers, like if all you're doing is changing what they're doing in the session, like you could be doing an okay job, but how is that session like changing their life as a whole? How are you addressing their whole other 24 hours versus this one hour that they're with you? And I think that's what needs to be changed. And that's what I obviously am biased. And I think that we do a great job of is just like, let's address your whole life because your whole life plays a huge role in why you're here and why you have pain and why you have this frustrating injury and just being like, okay, what hurts and where does it hurt? Like, that's just, it doesn't do it. Where does it hurt and why does it hurt? Like what you just said, like just focusing on the physical components of pain or maladaptation, like it is just doing a disservice. It is not covering the full picture. That's why this stress recovery adaptation formula can be adapted to be like this broad statement. And so then it's it's hard to dive into a broad statement like this and you know use this equation to talk about the whole human. But isn't that the point? Like, isn't that so necessary, right? Like we don't want to just create a healthier patellar tendon. We are trying to use this equation to create a healthier human when I was preparing for this, like I was realizing over and over and over again that like stress recovery adaptation, it is so broad and it made it intimidating to think about like everything that I wanted to make sure we talked about during this talk. But then it kind of like dawned on me like, but that's amazing that it is so broad because it gives us the opportunity to address all of the things that truly go into it. And because I'm so fortunate to work in a, you know, a setting I've made to move that allows me to have the time and capacity to talk about all these things. I know that we are not just building stronger patellar tendons. We are building stronger humans. And that's amazing. Hell yeah. Thank you so much. One other thing that you just brought up, I think we could talk about this for hours. Like it is so broad and that's where the magic of one-on-one comes in because we get to make it very specific. And we get to figure out like why this puzzle piece isn't fitting for this person. And it's it's so broad in the sense that it, it includes everything, but we get to decide based on this person, this human sitting in front of us, what are the factors contributing to your experience? And what are we going to do to guide you from where you currently are to where you want to be? So stress recovery adaptation. There it is. There it is. Elliot, thank you so much for coming on. It was fun. It was stressful. Great. But I think I got, I think I got better. Did for you it. get a little bit better at I it? Think, I think I think this is enough to, enough stress to cause a change. But I can recover from this. Okay. All right. Well, stay tuned. We'll check back in. If you want to keep up with Elliot and Made to Move, all the links are in the show notes below. Otherwise, be sure you subscribe to the show. New episodes are out every Monday. Till then, have an awesome week.